Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio, this is Bad Feminists Making Films, a podcast presented by Riza and Ethnocene Collectives. We're your hosts, Maggie Lemire. And Mia Sarah. And we'd like to welcome you back to our podcast, a show where we talk to bad feminist filmmakers who are confronting and changing the film industry through intersectional and decolonial practice. Today, we're going to talk about the long haul, committing yourself to a long-term filmmaking project. And how do you grow and change throughout the process? And also, how do you collaborate, in this case, with a co-director over many years? Our guests for today are Anisha and Anna. They co-directed a film called With This Ring. With This Ring offers a never-before-seen look at the early careers of three champion women boxers, Mary Combe, Sarita Devi, and Churchill Laura, of the Indian national boxing team. This film was filmed over the course of six years in four countries, and boxing became their lifeline, their source of income, their communities, but ultimately is what rips the three women apart. So why is a film like this important for us to talk about, Maggie? Well, I'm super excited to have Amisha and Anna, um, who we met through some of our Riza friends. Um, You know, I think it's interesting when you tell people you're working on a documentary film, they're like, oh... When can I see it? Is it going to be in a festival this year? And I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe in three, four, five years. Um, you know, mm-hmm. filmmaking is such a daunting process. And I think on this podcast, we've talked about how it's actually, you know, more like running a marathon or like 15 marathons. And then I think that becomes magnified when you're doing independent film. And then if you're, you know, from less represented communities with less resources, um, And so it's a really intense journey and process. And um, the way that Amisha and Anna worked on their film, you know, took them to multiple countries uh, over 10 years following the lives of these women boxers. And I think it's really interesting that they also co-directed and collaborated so intensely. And the thing is, is even after those 10 years of kind of working on production, you know, the film never ends. You never walk away from your relationships with your characters or from your relationship to the project. And so now they're 12 years in. And so I'm really curious to sort of actually have the opportunity to talk to people who've been so deep in something about what they've learned and how they've grown and, you know, what advice they would give to other filmmakers from being um, in this journey and committed to this journey. You know, of course, a lot of films never get finished as well, and they've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an amazing opportunity to reflect on that and also kind of on that process, which is essentially, for me, what feminist filmmaking is about, is being in the process. Um, but Mia Sarah, what about for you? Why are you interested in today's film and today's co-directors? Yeah, I think it's similar to you, Maggie, that it's pretty remarkable that... The film has taken uh, 10 years to produce, but also this is something that most people, as you described, most people don't really talk about, like, or even as talked about in schools where most documentaries take a pretty significant amount of time to produce and make. And I'm really curious to hear more about, like, the transformation 
of the filmmakers, but also the transformation of the women that they feature. Like, how do you get someone to give you access for so long? Um, so how do you change as a filmmaker? How does the relationship between the, the two directors change? But also, how do you navigate this relationship with the people that you're featuring? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, in a world that, that is changing, like 10 years is a pretty... Like, the world around you is changing. So I, um, I'm really curious to hear... Um, as technology is changing and social media is changing, you know, while you're making this film, how do you navigate them? Yeah, and even like the expectations that you have when you start and when you finish, because it's sort of like, you know, the (laughs) true documentary process, you really don't know where you're going to go on the journey with your characters. Mm -hmm. And so probably even, of course, the film that you think you're making and and all of those things change, but as your own life is happening, how do you continually decide to recommit to a project? Um, it's it's yeah. a huge accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with all of that, should we introduce um, Amisha and Anna? Do you wanna do you wanna tell us more about Amisha? Yes, Amisha Dashi is a Toronto native who graduated with a BA in psychology from Waterloo University, Ontario, Canada. She went on to work in the software industry for seven years before discovering her interest in filmmaking while living in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Her first short film, The Red Glove, was about an amateur boxer, so I'm seeing a theme, which I'm really curious to hear more about, um, Amisha, and that was made through the Atlantic Filmmakers Cooperative Film 5 Development Program, and it was during the making of this film she developed an appreciation for the sport, and she completed her bachelor's and master's of fine arts at Concordia University in Montreal. So she enjoys working on both documentary and fiction. Awesome. Um, And Anna. So Anna Sarkassian is a writer, director, producer, and cinematographer. She was born in Montreal, and she um, is also an anthropologist and a writer. Her work has been screened in the Canadian Parliament, in galleries, and on national television. She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts from the Mel Oppenheim School of Cinema and her Master's in Social Anthropology from the University of Oxford. She's currently researching gender equity equality in Hollywood for a doctorate of anthropology at Oxford, which I'm hoping we can touch on as well. Uh, So welcome to the show, Anna and Amisha. We're so excited to have you both here. We're thrilled to be here as well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, Well, before we sort of get into the project, why don't you both tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up pursuing or finding yourself as a filmmaker? Go ahead, Anna. So I, I never really thought of filmmaking as a career per se, but I was always really drawn to photography and to my family's video camera growing up in the 80s that I was never allowed to touch because at the time, like, it was quite rare to have a video camera. And um, it was I, I was just dying to get my hands on it. And eventually, as I got older, I was able to start using it. And I was just very interested in using a visual medium to, to tell stories and it, it just remained a passion of mine throughout high school. And then uh, in, in Quebec, where I grew up, there's this pre-university college that we all go to before we go to university. And I chose to focus on filmmaking there, and I just loved it. It didn't feel like I was going to school. It felt like, it just felt like, you know, a natural fit. And then to be able to study film at university was just another dream of mine, and it's just yeah, it was just a very easy choice. And looking back now, uh, you know, I think about all the other things I could have done, but I don't regret my choice because I find I find that my my you know my schooling in, in film has given me a a different perspective on the world. 
and has made me really appreciate, you know, um, finding beauty in, in daily life and capturing that and conveying mm. it to an audience. I love that, finding beauty in daily life. I feel like yeah. a lot about being a filmmaker is just being ever curious and open mm-hmm. as well. Um, Amisha, how did you get into filmmaking? Yeah, well, it, it was when I was in Nova Scotia, and I was actually working as a U- UX designer for many, many years. And I didn't realize it, but I wasn't quite happy doing that. And I was I worked like seven years at that point. And then someone at my workplace just randomly told me about this Super 8 film uh, course that was happening at the community college because I had started getting into like black and white photography and all of that. And I thought, okay, I'll take it. And so I made my first film on a Super 8 camera and I re- and it was, it was terrible with <laughs> the film. But that is when I fell in love with filmmaking. And I remember even using, you know, the old-fashioned splicer that you had, mm-hmm. you know, you were literally cutting and pasting it together. And it was like two in the morning and I was editing this film and I just like, it just blew my mind. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do. I love this. And then Mm. I just got involved in the independent film scene there in Halifax. And I took every course that they had. And, um, and back then it was all on film, you know, so we were shooting 16 millimeter and it was, it was much more expensive and, you couldn't shoot as much. And so I'm, I'm glad to see the changes in filmmaking now and that it's sort of even the playing field in terms of accessibility with digital. But yeah, so back then it was all film and I, I just got um, a new passion at that point. And then I, I lost my job in IT and I made the choice to go to film school in Montreal much later in my life. And I remember coming to the Montreal Film School, which was great, but I was 10 years older than everyone else, and I was really questioning, like, what am I doing with my life? My parents are like, you know, you had this well-paying job, and, like, now I was struggling, and I was just going back to becoming a film. I was a film student, and it was a very unstable life. But my my instincts are just telling me that this was this is right. This is what I was meant to do. So I certainly have no regrets, and I'm I'm glad I did it. It was a tough choice, but, yeah, I just knew that that's what I was meant to do at that point. Wow, that's really brave of you to make that choice, Amisha. Um, so I would like to switch gears for us to hear about how this uh, project got started. Um, what were both your expectations and like what was the impetus to, to start this? You should answer this one, Amisha. Okay. Yeah, so I randomly found out that Indian, India had women boxers. It was in... Um, early 2006, I went to a world press photo exhibit right around the corner from my house, and I saw a a photograph of a woman boxer practicing on the beaches of Chennai. And I remember looking at this with my friend and thinking, ah, I had no idea India had women boxers. And I remember I said out loud, I'm like, I think I want to make a film about this. So I I was just instantly intrigued by it. But at that time, they had almost no information about these boxers on the internet at all. But, uh, what, I did find was quite fascinating, particularly about one boxer named Mary Combe, who was a two-time world champion. And then India had some of the, the top women boxers in the world, and they go from the villages and remote areas and, you know, lower socioeconomic classes, and yet they were winning medals on a international level. And then I went to India for a family trip with my mom, and it was just in my mind so much. I was like, I want to make this, but I had no idea how, because it just seemed overwhelming to go and make a film in India, you know, without any funding or resources. And then I went to India and I met these women at their training camps because these girls, 
they do, they find the top boxers in the country and then they train them. They become part of the senior women's national boxing team and they train year-round, 10 months of the year, six days a week, three times a day. And when I actually visited these camps and met these women, they were like women I had never met before. And it clinched it for me. I was like, oh, wow, I have to make a film about this. And the world in which they lived, that little corner of the world in which they trained was so cinematic for so many reasons, visually and the audio. And, uh, yeah, I I just knew I had to make it. So I came back and I told Anna. And uh, then Delhi announced that they were hosting the next World Women's Championship, which happens every two years. And here it was, the nation's capital was going to be hosting this event and they don't even acknowledge their women boxers and Anna said you know Misha it's now or never we've got to do this so we scraped together whatever we begged we borrowed we borrowed equipment and went to India we ate nothing but bananas for a month and we you know we shot our first uh with our first production shoot in 2006. Sounds familiar. Throwing your whole mm-hmm. self into the project with very few resources. <laughs> and so when you all started, you know, the project, what, what were you thinking like the project was? What, how, what did you establish about your relationship and your roles? Kind of what were your ideas and your <clears throat> expectations about what you were getting into at that point? Go ahead, Anna. To be honest, yeah. to, to be honest, I didn't have that many expectations. I thought it sounded like a fascinating topic, and uh, and the idea of going to India appealed to me. Um, but neither of us had any had any idea that it would it would sort of develop into a ten or twelve year long project. We thought we'd go to India for two months, we'd capture some footage, we'd come home, edit it, make a film, and then move on. Um, and then that's not what happened. We ended up going there, um, not being able to get the access that we needed to the characters because they were a little bit skeptical about our intentions. They thought we were just some very entitled, rich, you know, white people, I'm using that in quotes, coming over from Canada uh, to film them, and then we would disappear the next day and they'd never hear from us again because this has happened to them many times with all these foreign journalists dipping in and dipping out of their lives. In the end, so we didn't get the access, and then we came home, we said, we don't have the material to make a film, but we see the potential in this project. So we started fundraising, applying for grants, going through the material, making a demo. And that sort of, uh, the project took on a life of its own from that point. And we stuck around a couple more years, went back to India because we got a tiny bit of funding. And, and that demonstrated to the team, you know, that we were committed to their stories and that we would be sticking around to make this film. And it just kept going. I mean, the project got more and more complicated as they, they announced that women's boxing would would become an Olympic sport for the first time. It had already been a sport for the men, but women were not eligible to compete at the Olympics. So we thought, you know, that would be a great way to cap off this film, showing the journey from pretty much training in oblivion in India and then trying to compete uh, at the Olympics, which was the goal of all of these boxers. In their hearts, that's what they wanted. We followed one of them who actually made it to the Olympics, won a medal, and then became a superstar overnight. Her name is Mary Combe. Now she's a member of parliament. She has many honorary doctorates. She's a she's a sensation in India. And just charting that journey was not something we had, we had in mind at all, at all at the beginning, but it was fascinating to see it develop. 
Yeah, Misha, what were, what were your expectations or, or your ideas? Were you seeing a feature film? You know, what did you know about making a feature film? Um, were you both sort of already considering yourself co-directors? You know, when you met the women, what, what were you explaining to them about your project? Really curious about how this, like, the mindset when you started. Well, it, it was my first, it was our first feature-length film, so it was so naive. Yeah, we've been <laughs> trying to film finished this film yesterday for the past 10 years. Like, we went in 2006, like Anna said, we had full intention of just completing the, completing the film at that point. So it was, it was like a big learning experience in terms of, you know, what it would take to, like, access is, is so key as a documentary filmmaker. We didn't have that. So we spent so much time in India, but even when we were there in India, access that you would need to get the material you needed to make a story was was very challenging. And we had a total of 200 hours of footage after our six years of production. And everyone came to us and said, oh, can't you make 50 different films with this footage? It's like, no, you don't understand the type of footage that we have. Because we were up against a lot. I mean, I, I thought, oh, I've been to India before. I've traveled through India. I'll be fine. Well, no, you, I realize you know a country once you've worked in that country. And it's tough to get things done there. And not to mention that I have a language we have a language barrier. I'm born and raised in Canada, so my Hindi is not, not very good. I don't understand it, and I can't speak it very well. I can't speak it barely at all. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to get to know who our characters were going to be over those years, get to know them, just even interview time with them. They literally have one day off of the week, and that's not the time that they necessarily want to spend being interviewed in a hot room, <laughs> you know. So it just... It just took so long to um, gain their trust, first of all, get them to understand what we were doing, and to get to know them and find out who we were going to follow and then get the material we needed from them, um, more intimate footage of them, you know, talking to us and opening up and with them and their with their families and their villages and all of that. It took a lot of time, and it was very stressful making this film along the way, like, in 2008, I mean, it was only a month in. The first month we were there, I remember, we didn't even know who our characters were going to be. It's very unsettling, you know, when you're making a film. Like Anna said, it's a fascinating topic. Oh, but what's the storyline? What's the arc? Who are you going to focus on? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and all of that just, it, it, we couldn't have fast-forwarded through that process. If I look back on it now, there were no shortcuts. It took the time it took. So one of my takeaways is when you're making a film, it's like, I mean, for me, I I was so stressed out and anxious during the, the 10 years of making this because it took so long instead of just relaxing into it and just accepting that this is the amount it takes, the amount of time it takes to sort of unfold and discover these things and to capture them. Uh, that's um, so comforting not, to hear. Yeah, <laughs> As someone who's working on films where everyone's like, what's the character? What's the story? And I'm like, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to, this is the creative process. But yet you have to like articulate it and put it down in order to get funding. But you need the funding to be there to figure it out. Yeah. Yes. So you have, there's like all these points of resistance. And you both really persevered and kept going. Like what made you keep going? What, What criteria were you operating off of throughout those 10 years? to decide, like, okay, well, you know, I think we, we have the story that we needed. 
to be honest, I think a lot of our our success, our perseverance came from external forces. Um, the fact that we very early on started writing about this experience and publishing it, we had a blog on the National Film Board of Canada's website. We started getting a following. People, people were interested in the film. And from there, uh, eventually we expanded that to Facebook. Uh, we did a crowdfunding campaign. We raised about $20,000 on crowdfunding. We kept getting such positive feedback from everyone that we spoke to about the film. And that that helped me anyway. I don't know about Amisha, but that helped me keep going because, I mean, it, it's, a very, it's a long haul, and you start losing sight of the end, of the end result. And having people constantly, you know, telling you, like, this is fascinating. I want to know more about this project. I want to, I want to tell me more about these characters. I mean, it really spurned, it helped me keep going all throughout this project. And then the other side of it was, I think, having it, having a co-director. I don't think I would have been able to stay in this had I been alone. I think having a co-director who was there to cry with you, to laugh with you, to laugh at how, how, how many things went wrong, like, how absurd the situations were, that helped me. I, I don't know if you were gonna, you would say something different, Amisha. No, I agree. I was thinking there is no way I could have made this film alone, like psychologically and emotionally even. Forget it. We had met another filmmaker along the way named Ruth who made a documentary about the American team, and she was doing it alone, and she had 300 hours of footage, which was comforting for us, and she had made it even longer than we had, and we're like, okay, we're not so, so bad, and she made a beautiful film, but she was doing it alone, and I was like, how are you doing this? There is no way, because for me, this making this film for me was the hardest thing I've ever done, and uh, yeah, there's not too many people that will... You know, you can take to India and live in, you know, you know, monsoon season. It was very hot and schlepping equipment on, you know, through trains and buses and backpacks. Is, and and just being in what I consider difficult circumstances, you know, because I, I come from Canada and I live a very comfortable life. So going there and, and working there was tough. And it's not just anyone that can do that as well. So, yeah, I, uh, for me, it was absolutely having a co-director. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the facets of collaboration. Sure. The track you're listening to during the break is Can't Find Ya by Keto. If you're tuned in, you're listening to Full Service Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Bad Feminist Making Films, a podcast presented by Reza and Ethnosyn Collectives. We're a show where we talk to bad feminist filmmakers who are confronting and changing the film industry through intersectional and decolonial practice. And today we have Amisha Joshi and Anna Sarkassian, and we're talking about their uh, feature documentary called With This Rain and the long, uh, intense, and beautiful collaboration that they had over many years. Um, And so before break, we were talking a little bit about you know, how hard a documentary is and the choices that they made to work on this all the way following the women to the Olympics. But I wanted to ask you all more about these dynamics of being co-directors, because I think we still 
kind of live in this film environment where there's this one, you know, genius director who's in charge of everything, who seems to get all the credit for all the choices. And usually it's a white man, um, but you co-directed together. Uh, and you were talking about how that created, you know, a lot of support. But I imagine, you know, your lives are happening outside of this film too, right? Other school choices, potentially professional choices, family choices, personal, you know, ambitions. And the film yet like mandates lots of things. So I'm curious more about the dynamics of your collaboration as co-directors, how you navigated choices around like the process of making the film. And also, I suppose, like editorially and and what you've learned from that. Uh, Maybe we can throw this to Amisha first. Okay, sure. Yeah. I mean, when we first started, um, I... Well, I had met Anna in film school in a documentary approaches class, and I I really loved uh, her cinematography, and I thought, oh God, I would love for her to to shoot this film. So she came to India. Um, originally, it was just she was just going to you know be the cinematographer, but it became very clear to me very soon that it was a collaborative process, and it's like, no, who are we kidding here? We're both directing this film, and I think. It kind of helped that we were in the same class with the same teacher that sort of opened up our mind in terms of what a documentary could be and taking less of a traditional approach and more of an open one in terms of sound and image pairing and creating um, an atmosphere and experience through the language of cinema was something I think that excited us both. And, and I think having that similar um, aesthetic about it. I'll let Anna answer this. I'm not sure if she agrees with this or not, but yeah, that that really helped as well in terms of collaborating, in terms of making the type of film we wanted to make. Although it's interesting what ended up happening was that it was more of a narrative style structure than we had expected, and we're happy with what the film is now, but I think we had something even more, um, sort of more open poetic style approach to what this film is going to be but yeah I think working together it was um, it was kind of nice that it was like a small crew because you couldn't have a heavy presence in the circumstances in which we were filming in these like gyms and ringside out you know their outdoor rings and their hostels and where they ate if you were like a big crew or if you were like a crew with a man or a few men it would just what I think had made them more uncomfortable and it was already hard enough to make this film and um, be non-intrusive. I've actually found that um, Anna has a sense of being quite what I call invisible in a room. Some people just have a very light presence. And I don't know what that is because it's not physical size because sometimes I find when I'm holding the camera and I'm in the room, I feel like there's literally a spotlight on me <laughs> and everyone just turns to me. But some people just have um, a very light, invisible presence. And she could be right next to someone filming them and they just kind of ignore her. I found that during my observation. So, I mean, I found it very easy to work with her, and I felt like when we walked into a room, she was she, she was already filming what my eye was going to sometimes. But, yeah, I, I was very happy um, to be directing this with Anna. I, I really like her style, and um, I was very happy that there was a woman behind the camera uh, as well during the making of this, and that was an added advantage as well during the making of this film, being women, it wasn't a disadvantage. It, it gave us, um, I guess it made our subjects more comfortable, and it gave us a kind of access to live in the hostels with them as well. That sort of strays a little bit from what you're asking. I don't know if you want to add more to that, Anna? 
Yeah, I mean, oh, thank you, Amisha. I appreciate uh, everything you said, and I, I also appreciate your diplomatic response about how we just naturally became co-directors as opposed to <laughs> me overstepping my bounds as cinematographer. But, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. But <laughs> I, I think that what was what we, we learned kind of a, a language, uh, almost a nonverbal language by the end of it, where we didn't even have to, you know, use words. We looked at each other across the room if we were on opposite ends of the hall, and, you know, we, we could communicate about what we wanted. Uh, and Amisha would say, oh, film this, film this. And I, sometimes I'd already be doing it, or sometimes I'd, I'd change what I was doing and, and adapt to what she, was, what she had noticed. So, yeah, it, it ended up being... Um, a small crew out of necessity in some ways because, uh, as Amisha noted, you know, we couldn't have more people physically in the room and build intimacy. And then we also had to learn all these different things that, you know, learn how to record sound, learn how to mix sound, uh, you know, learn how to sign a website and market a film and, you know, all these, all these sort of things that we had never considered at the beginning, we ended up doing on our own and developing those skills, which... I think is really beneficial, but at the time it was out of necessity. We just, we couldn't pay anybody to do it, so we did it ourselves. Yeah, it just actually reminds me of something else. Um, I remember we were in film class and our teachers told us at that time, when do you turn the camera on? And I remember I remember this because when we were in India, I was definitely of a, a bit more of a panic mindset. I wasn't at that point very calm and just listening to my instincts because we we crossed an ocean to be there. We were in India for a limited amount of time. And I was more of a sense of, oh, film everything because something might happen. We might miss it. Film this person. They may be a secondary character. This might be our primary character. We don't know. Film more of them. And I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Anna was just like a mm, little more resistant to constantly filming everything. And looking back on it now, this is one thing that I have learned is when to turn the camera on. Because, well, my God, first of all, you know, the more you film, the more work you're going to have in post, which you want to avoid, which we had. It was overwhelming, the amount of work that we had to deal with afterwards. The two of us doing everything with 200 hours of footage. I won't even get into the details of all of that. But looking back on it now, definitely, I remember we, uh, yeah, we, we filmed too much, you know. Because I remember Anna's like, well, I don't think we really need to. I'm like, no, just, just film it. Something might happen. <laughs> I remember, I just remember moments like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good takeaway of like when to turn the camera on. And then for, for you, Amisha, how did that sensibility develop over time? Like when did you kind of feel confident about what to film and what not to film? Oh, well, I mean, by the end of it, I mean, we had a better idea of, um, you know, what, what our film was going to be. So, I mean, it was really like our, final production shoot in 2012 at the Olympic qualifying world championships in, in China. Um, I think, that, unfortunately, it was at the very end. You know, I remember being on the plane back home. It was our, it was our last shoot. Actually, no, Anna did go to, to UK and, and filmed um, Mary Combe. But before that, it was, it was kind of our last major production shoot. And we're coming back on the plane, and I remember we both felt like we just had enough to tell this story, which seems absurd to someone for the amount of footage that we had, but uh, we felt that way. But then when we, we shared the footage with our editor, 
she's like, no, there's a ton of stuff in here, you know, that we couldn't see. So, so that's a whole other discussion. You know, it, it was over time. And even now, I mean, it's something I'm always ruminating and reflecting upon as I, I look back on the project that's finished and what we used and what we used. But there's always going to be an element of not knowing. And especially in documentary, it's like, I think it's just really good to, to hone your intuition and your instincts. That's just the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like really hard when you're so deep into something to know when to say, okay, this is the end, because stories <laughs> yeah. keep going, you know, and you're yeah. so in already. Uh, that's a hard, a hard decision point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you just, you just never know. And it's so easy just to keep the camera rolling, you know? I don't know. At, at this point now, I'm just so um, allergic to having a huge amount of footage to work with that if I feel like I've got it, I think there's a better sense of knowing just from all those years of filming, filming them, not overdoing it. And I, I look back now and I realize, yeah, I overdid it. You know, I wanted to overshoot. So another question um, is you both were changing and you were learning so much while you filmed um, about being filmmakers, uh, this invaluable experience, but also your characters were changing. And as Mia Sarah kind of spoke to at the beginning, the world is changing and technology is changing and um, how people are thinking about storytelling and film is changing, um, social media, etc. So can you talk a little bit about your uh, relationship with your characters and how that evolved um, as you went year by year into the process and maybe ways that were productive, difficult, challenging, unexpected, anything? Uh, do you want to start, Anna? Yeah, Absolutely. So at the beginning, we were just desperate for any way in because we found ourselves sitting outside their boxing hall for about a month as they prepared for this world championship, and we didn't have the access. The coach actually told them not to talk to us because they had to focus on their competition. At the time, we felt very much on the outside, and we were worried about what we would uh, what we would do. And And at the time, we were writing a blog and publishing it online and writing about everything that happened. And this was in 2006, so, you know, it was early days of the Internet, relatively. And we never thought uh, about our audience. We never thought about the fact that our boxers would be reading what we were writing. We were just sort of writing, you know, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is, you know, this person said this to us uh, in in fairly anonymous terms. We weren't using specific names, if I recall correctly. And eventually, as the years went on, um, we we found that, uh, you know, our relationship with the boxers changed as we became friends with them and as, you know, their careers advanced. um, And and suddenly, they, they had an online presence. And so we had this new relationship with them, and we started thinking about how the dynamic had changed a little bit. Um, And... I'm not saying that we wrote anything that we were ashamed of or that we, you know, that was, that we didn't want them to see, but it was just, um, we had a heightened awareness of who they were and their role with the world and their interactions with technology because all of a sudden we were getting uh, Facebook, uh, not not actually, well, we got Facebook friend requests, but also LinkedIn requests. And when we started this in 2006, you know, that that's not something that had ever crossed our minds, that we'd be engaging with them in this new way. Um, so, you know, it was, it was really challenging to um, communicate to them what we wanted to do and to get a clear sense of if they fully understand what we wanted to do and what their involvement would be. And part of that problem was 
the fact that we didn't really know what we were doing at the beginning. We didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't have a good understanding of in- informed consent uh, when I was uh, 21, when, you know, when we started this. And I have a much better understanding of it now. And looking back, um, I think, you know, did we make it clear enough what we wanted? And did, did they fully participate in the decision to be in this film or did they feel pressure to be in it? Or did they, you know, not know how to say no uh, out of politeness? So I think back on, on that process and the decisions that were made. And I, you know, it's something that I would want to change and do differently the next time. Um, now that I have, you know, a much better understanding of what's involved and the different ways that people are vulnerable in these types of projects. That's a perfect segue because that's just something that I wanted to learn more about. Now that you have these 12 years of experience, what would you have told um, younger Anna and Amisha to do um, in making the film? Were there what we call bad feminist moments where there are mistakes that you made that you would have liked to have done differently? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, I'm thinking about that. Um, what would I have done differently? Maybe, I don't know, maybe I would have asked them more, are you comfortable with this? And I mean, we did, I guess, at that time um, say, you know, we, we're doing this because we want to make a film about you to our characters. We find you inspiring. But maybe I would have spent more time really, you know, not with the camera in the room trying to get whether they were comfortable with this, whether they liked being a part of it. Yeah, I think I would have spent more time with that, you know, without a camera in hand, talking to them about this. I think that's one thing I would have done differently. Anna? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of our, part of the reason we didn't, I'm I'm not trying to make an excuse, but I think that our time with them was so limited that any time we were with them, we felt this, you know, this desperate urge to film whatever was happening because we we were so worried that we had nothing. We just had, you know, 195 hours of boxing footage and and not enough of of them as people. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's one of our shortcomings. Um, But I think also the fact that um, if I could go back and change it, I would try to make the the, the process more collaborative. And that's a difficult thing to do when there's a language barrier and when you're working on the other side of the world and you can't necessarily share footage very easily. But I would mm-hmm. want to be involved in a project which can be collaborative in some capacity, or at least more so than this one was. Because I think it's really important um, for the participants, for the subjects, the characters, however we want to refer to them, to be more involved in decision-making about how they're represented um, because we kept saying, because really the control remained with us. We had control over everything, over how they were depicted, over their stories, over every single edit, um, and didn't really give them a chance. And yeah, that, that's something that I would like to. It, it's not. It's not an easy thing to implement, but it's something that I want to think about and see if you know how I could possibly do that in the future. Yeah, I think that's something yeah, that's that I'm a- always thinking about, like how how to refer to um, the people that I'm featuring in my film. Like I often call them collaborators, the people that I feature, like how do, do I give them credits or like, how do I, like, how do I even begin to use the, to find the language to talk about my relationship with the people that I am working with? 
And it probably shifts on every project. Um, so mm-hmm. unfortunately, we only have a couple minutes, but Anna and Amisha, I know that this process was just exhausting um, and that it's kind of left you with a new relationship to film. So before we kind of um, end today's show, I think it would be interesting just to hear kind of where you are now and kind of any final thoughts you would want to share or final advice to other filmmakers um, based on everything you've learned. Oh, okay, well, it's a big one. It's a big one, but it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, it's really real for those of us who are starting our projects. I think it's really um, important to know the reality of kind of where this kind of thing can bring you. Well, I, I think the fact is that it, it was so hard and there was just, it, it actually left me with wanting to take a break from filmmaking afterwards. And I had to really question if I wanted to continue making another film because I didn't want to do I didn't want to do this again. I mean, I'm so happy with the film. It's one of the best things I've ever done, all that jazz. But it was it was 10 years of my life, and it was very difficult. And, I mean, I felt like it was very much an uphill battle. There were so many cards stacked against us, and I, it was just too hard. And it turned me off of filmmaking as well. So I... I went through a process where I really questioned whether I wanted to do this again. And, I mean, we're still working on the film with its distribution and its, you know, final worldwide release, which would, you know, it's going to be happening very soon around the world. But, um, yeah, I know it hasn't killed my love of cinema and wanting to be a filmmaker, I don't think. And uh, I'm starting to get new ideas now, finally, so many years later. But um, I think it's just good that people just remain honest with themselves. And, um if you want to make films, great. And if you don't, that's okay. <laughs> I know that's great advice. But yeah, you know, perseverance is is really the key. And I think this film was made just by sheer hard work. You know, just, mm-hmm. just work hard and persevere. Because um, I, I literally felt like the universe was against us at some point making this film. We just didn't have a lot of luck going our way, you know. And sometimes we did. For example, when we found our editor, Jackie came and saved the day and helped us finish this film and she's incredible she's incredible talent it was it was i have to just have a shout out to her um it was really this film was made by three women yeah um i i would say that perseverance yes absolutely it's necessary but at the same time i'm coming from the headspace where i'm studying women who are trying to make it in hollywood who are up against incredible obstacles themselves and trying to sustain their careers and I'm also reading about academia and all the challenges that women in academia face in terms of getting in, trying to get a postdoc, trying to get tenure. So I feel like it's really important no matter what industry you choose to have a very healthy relationship and have a balanced you know, relationship with yourself and to take care of yourself. Um, because I think that that was really a low priority for me anyway throughout the making of this film. We were just going, 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 trying to make it done, trying to get it done. And I think that the struggles that we had are very universal. I think that every film is difficult to make. Um, so, you know, if I could talk to myself uh, in 2006, I would say, you know, try to, try to like, maintain balance in your life. And, you know, th- this is a real privilege to be able to make a film. So enjoy every moment of it and, uh, you know, be good to yourself as well. Mm. 
Yeah. yeah. In some ways, it's good to not know maybe at the beginning, but then it's also great to learn. Uh, after I, I published my, my book, which was like 500 pages, I was like, I'm never doing a book again. And somehow I thought maybe filmmaking would be easier. <laughs> but anyways, um, silly, we, silly, so silly. we are out of time for today. But um, Anna and Amisha, it's just um, such an honor to have you on. And we thank you, you know, on behalf of our community for really sharing the real kind of inside perspective of working on a project. And congratulations. It's a beautiful film we loved watching it and we can't wait to talk to you again in the future thanks you all this has been bad feminist making films on full service radio bye thanks for listening to this program on full service radio broadcasting and recording from the line hotel in adams morgan washington dc full service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.